I always get frustrated when I see people taking the easy path. Thinking that that's the best course of action. You know, it's, it's easy to lie. You know, I could do it right now. You know, I'm an astronaut. See, simple. So simple a child can do it. It's easy to steal. I remember vividly <laughs> when uh, I was in school, I was notorious for taking other people's pencils and pens. It wasn't intentional. It was just I would ask to borrow it, and then I would forget to give it back. And then by the time I get home, I'm like, oh, dang, I have a new pencil. It's like, no, I stole it. Didn't try to steal it. It wasn't intentional. It just happened. You know, it's easy to hurt people. Hurting people is very easy to do. You know, I, I love, I love swords. I love swords ever since my stepfather introduced them to me. You know, he had this wooden katana, you know, wooden kendo sword. And uh, I used to, you know, always want it. I didn't know why I wanted it. I just wanted it. Because when I was a kid, I had an obsession with martial arts and Bruce Lee movies and Donnie Yen and Jackie Chan. And that was like all I watched. And I fell in love with anime and Dragon Ball Z and all that kind of stuff. You know, I was I was a normal kid. I, I love combat. I didn't know why. I realized later it was because... There's something beautiful about combat that it's, it's not something that you can just wake up one day and decide to be good at. It takes practice. It takes dedication. It's not easy. And when you understand how frail and how easy it is to kill a human being, you know, all the muscles in the world can't stop a serrated blade. All the muscles in the world can't stop a bullet. You know, some things that just just can't be done. You know, but people always want to go about things the easy way. Always want the shortcuts. No one ever wants to stick with anything for the long haul. I remember when uh when I first started going to high school. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I wasn't sure if I wanted to join sports. I wasn't sure if I wanted to join art. I was a blank slate. Because everything that I had been through all the way up until that point and my stepfather getting into our lives, you know, and he was army. I didn't I didn't really I didn't really know what I wanted because I had spent so long not knowing anything but fear. This podcast, this one's actually personal for me because I despise the easy path. I, d- I just do. I've always felt that way. I don't like it. I never feel good about doing things the easy way because in the end of it all, it, it always seemed to bite me in the ass. I learned from my from my stepfather 
very quickly. And that proud Latino man that he was is that we didn't we didn't quit on things. And so my freshman year of high school, I guess it was because I was trying to impress him or something like that. I joined ROTC, Air Force ROTC of the high school in San Antonio, where I grew up, Holmes High School. It's actually a Holmes High School slash business careers. It's pretty good public school. I, I loved going there. I have a lot of good memories from that school. It was probably the safest school I had ever felt that I had been in up until that point. And uh, I remember after my freshman year and wearing that stupid uniform every Wednesday and all that stuff. Man, I remember after that year was up, I was like, yeah, no, I'm not doing this. It wasn't just that. It was that none of the girls thought that being an ROTC was cool, or at least none of the ones that I wanted. And, uh, I don't know. I I just wanted out. And my stepfather was like, Nope. Mm-mm. You're gonna you're gonna sign up for it again next year. And I did. And the year after that, and the year after that. But by my junior year, I had made so many friends in ROTC that I couldn't imagine myself being anywhere else. Because ROTC was different than the other classes. It was a class where, where duty and, and discipline and getting rewarded for doing a good job was part of the course. The funny thing is, is that when when I my freshman year when I when I signed up, there was a, a guy named Jaime that was the physical fitness commander of the ROTC unit. In a, in at our at our school, you know, in ROTC, and uh, he was about to graduate, and he couldn't find anyone else who had the 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 physical and testicular fortitude to do the job. And me, I was even at, before I started going to high school, I was running with my stepfather and my little brother at the that track at that high school, like all summer, and summer before that and summer before that. My, my stepdad, he was real big into running back then. And we used to run with him, you know, from our apartment complex, which is up this winding hill, you know, it had a high point, a low point, and another high point. It was a bitch to run up. I, I, I still remember, <laughs> I still remember running from that apartment complex to the school, which is just like, you know, go up this up this hill that kind of went down and up a little bit, but it was pretty much an uphill run. And then you hang left, and then you're you're running towards the school, and then we go through the, the football field, and then we were on the track. And uh, I remember the very first time that I started running that damn thing with my stepfather, I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that again. And then I did it again. And then they, before I knew it, I could run the whole way there and the whole way back. Which, looking back now, is freaking crazy, because that was a lot of running, and most of it was uphill, and then I ran around the track two or three times, and I would go home, but that's how much I loved to run back then. Because the backstory to me is that I grew up as an asthmatic. You know, 
uh, I was in and out of the hospital a lot when I was a kid. A lot when I was a kid. And my real father, I can't tell you how many times he would have to stop what he was doing to take me to the emergency room so that they would hook me up to these machines because I was barely able to whisper because I was just gasping for air. And I would sit in these rooms with these with these other little kids that were hooked up to these machines. And we just looked at each other like, you know, this is our life. And my stepfather, <clears throat> he was always so gung-ho about everything. And the running, I remember I used to have asthma attacks while I was running. And he would encourage me to push through. And he used to always talk about this thing called the second wind. That once you catched it, you could run forever. And I remember as a kid, I, I used to think about me, I have asthma, but if I get this second wind, I could run forever? Like, wow, I have to get that. And so that was what motivated me to run every chance that I got. And all of my friends understood it because all of them hated running. In fact, to this day, I always talk to people and I tell them, like, yeah, every now and then when I. When I'm feeling low, I go for a run. And you hear that disdain for running in most people's voice. Like, ew, running. No, never. Uh, no, you can't get me to do that. Every girlfriend, every ex-wife I've ever had, none of them was down to run. So I always ran alone. Except for those times when I was a kid with my stepdad and my siblings. We actually had a family tradition that on New Year's, that I'm sure they still do to this day, where we would run, we called it our New Year's run, where we would run to the end of our street, no matter where we lived, which, you know, San Antonio, and we would run and you know down the street, and then we would run back to the house. I loved running because the day that I hit my second wind, the day after that was the day that I got uh, picked to uh to you know be the commander it was that following following week it was like the weekend before I'd hit it and then the that following week I I had gotten the offer from one of the ROTC instructors to you know to be the the physical fitness commander they couldn't find anybody else who wanted to do it and everyone knew that I ran and I was in the physical fitness and me and my stepdad, we used to work out in, in our gym that we had set up in the garage. And it was something I did all the time because I wanted to be stronger. And it wasn't easy. It was just, just wasn't. And so uh, a lot of my friends were hanging out, playing videos and God knows what else. I was running while I was at home. I was working out. Most of the time, I was in the backyard training. A lot of people didn't know that about me. And it wasn't something that I wanted people to know because it was something that I was doing for me. I wanted to improve me. I wanted to not be that scared little boy that I was in South Dallas in my troubled youth and my troubled past. I didn't want to be that guy anymore. I didn't want to be that kid anymore. I didn't want to feel that way anymore. And my stepfather, he showed me the power 
that can be gained, the confidence that can be gained from taking the hard path. So when I see people waxing eloquent, eloquent about the easy way, about the easy path, it always pisses me off. But I ended up being the physical fitness commander for our ROTC unit for all four years of high school, which was unheard of. That means that my freshman year, I was an officer. Technically. It took them a minute for them to give me the stripes and all, but I mean, I was an officer pretty much from my freshman year. I've always told people that I was born to lead. I just, I just was. But I saw the value in the hard path because I lived the consequences of the easy path through my mother and her decisions, through my father and his decisions. And you would have think that I would have learned, but sad to say, over the years and in my early 20s, I didn't learn. And I made some of the same mistakes that they did, just in a different way. You know, it's it's easy. It's it's easy to hurt people. It's easy to come up with snap judgments. It's easy to formulate opinions that aren't vetted and have no grounds in reality. That shit is so easy. It's easy to be disrespectful. It's easy to live without honor. It is easy. It's easy to say things to people to make them feel better about themselves, but not believe a word of what you say. It's easy. Did it for years. It's easy. Most people do it. It's easy to be a bad parent. <laughs> All you have to do is do nothing. Easy. It's easy to lose focus. It's easy to be undisciplined. It's easy to be self-righteous and not have a single damn reason to be. It's easy to be selfish. So damn easy a child can do it. A baby can do it. Selfishness is easy. Apathy is easy. Not caring about anything so easy. Shoot, a pothead can do that. Just sit and smoke their day away and not give a damn about anyone or anything but themselves or nothing at all. It's easy. But what's not easy is loving people honestly. That's not easy. Because love requires so much of you. So much of you. Discipline requires so much of you. Charity, humility, gratitude. To a lot of people, these are just words. To me, they're not just words. They're perspectives. They're points of view that are rooted in reality, that are tangible. You can see them. You can feel them. The weight of their benefits are real. They change lives.
freedom is, is not freedom without resolve. Without the resolve to see it through. Without the resolve to do what is necessary to be free. You know, liberty and justice and freedom. That's what I've always believed the United States stood for. Because being in San Antonio, which is a military town, if there ever was one, it's got like what? There's Randolph Air Force Base, Lackland Air Force Base, Kelly, and then there's like what? Two army bases. It's a military town. And I love that I grew up in San Antonio. Because the benefit to it was that I saw so many different races of people all the time. Asian friends and China, you know, and, and, and Indian friends and friends from the Middle East. And, and then we even had like two Muslim guys that I knew that were in ROTC with us. Great people. Came from great homes. Learned a lot of different points of view. And it was a blessing. It really was. Stark contrast to South Dallas. Night and day. And the one thing that I learned from these people was that where they were from, the places that they could go back to, were places that they didn't want to go back to. And that their parents, in many cases, had to scrape and save and fight, in many cases, to get here. I'll never forget this one friend that I had. He was from Bosnia. He moved into our apartment complex, you know, um, probably around the time that I was probably 16 or 17. We were still in middle school together. It was me, him, and this other black kid that we used to hang out with, hang out together all the time. And Demir, he would always, he had a real thick accent. He sounded Russian as all hell. And his 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 house smelled horrible. I hated the way his house smelled because they, they cooked food that I just wasn't used to in it. It always smelled gross to me, so I hated going to his house. But he was amazing at basketball, and we used to play basketball together all the time. Me and him and my other friend. And then we, you know, Demir wasn't good at making friends when he first moved there. And I don't know why, I just I just saw the point to, to try to be his friend. When he would talk about his homeland and how he missed his homeland and how he loved his homeland, his, his home country. But... There were things that we had here in America that he just thought was wonderful. And it, and, it, and it made him not want to leave. And I remember one time, I think he cried about that. That America was such a beautiful place that he felt like he was betraying his homeland. He was a young guy. He's like 16 or 17, just like me at the time. And he tried really, really hard to fit in. And people made it hard for him, but he... He's had such a strong spirit. And being around him showed me how weak I was. And this is before, you know, my stepdad trained me and, and we got into the whole working out and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I, I knew that I was weak just being around someone like Demir. Because he was strong and he was confident and he was fearless. I remember one time in particular, uh, some guys showed up to the basketball court in the apartment complex, and they weren't from there. 
and they saw us playing basketball and they just wanted to show up and ruin our game and, and take over the court. And Demir ran him off. Me, I was scared. Now, sadly enough, me and Demir were damn near the same height. And I was pretty tall, even for a 13-year-old. But Demir was like, hell no. <laughs> You're not going to come over here and take what's ours. And his confidence, it stuck with me for a long time because I asked myself, like I did, you know, my, my, uh, you know, my stepdad that taught me how to run was like, how do I get that? How do I feel like that? Practice. Most all things that are worth doing require practice. They just do. That's the reason why you can't just pick up a sword and call yourself a swordsman. That's the reason why you can't run a track, you know, once or twice and, and, and say you're a runner. That's the reason why you can't put on some damn boxing gloves and start throwing punches at a freaking bag and tell yourself a boxer. You're not a boxer. And what you do is you dishonor the people who've done the work. You can't start an OnlyFans page and call yourself a sex worker. You're not. I know some, some prostitutes that would be super offended by that. Some actual sex workers who, you know, it's like, no, no, you're not. You're an imposter. And there's a lot of that going on right now. A lot of imposters. A lot of people pretending to be something that they're not. Because it's easy. It's easy to put on a shit ton of makeup to make yourself feel better than to actually believe that you have worth and value as is. That's hard. I know some girls that can't do that. They have to have makeup on. They have to. And they'll say it's because it makes them feel pretty. And you should see the look on their faces. If you ever see a woman like this, just see the look on their faces when you tell them that they're beautiful as is and that they don't need it. Just utter disbelief. Because it's easier to believe you're full of shit than it is to believe that it's true. We love the easy path. We have companies and organizations that build entire media platforms and advertisements around the belief that you want the easy path. Because they've indoctrinated you to believe that you want it. Because every day, no matter what media platform you choose, you have to deal with a whole bunch of people telling you that you ain't shit as is. That there is nothing of value about you. And it's times like these that I thank God that I was raised in a Christian home. Because I know the truth. I know that I have intrinsic value. I know that my life has meaning and that my words, if I choose them carefully, can have an impact on other people's lives. There was a time when I wanted to take the ultimate easy path, the final destination of the easy path, if you will. I wanted to commit suicide because so many things had went wrong for so long and I felt so alone 
they just seemed like a logical conclusion that I was just better off done. That it was time to call it a day. It's time to wrap it up. Betrayal will do that to you. Betrayal will, will make you doubt yourself. Betrayal will make you hate yourself. Even despise yourself and your own being. Betrayal can make you despise the being of life itself. You know, the Columbine kids. Hitler. And nothing is worse than when you betray yourself. You know, um, there was this there was this anime made by Black Horse that I used to love. I still love it. It's it's called Blade of the Immortal. And there was this one part in the manga where the geisha was talking to the main character and the geisha was an assassin, of course. And she says something that her words have always stuck with me. Ever since I read it, it's just like it hit me like a brick wall. She said, when you let yourself fall, you can't have dreams like normal people. It's very true. Because I know a lot of people who suffer needlessly because they allow themselves to be betrayed and to continue to be betrayed. They allow themselves to quit when they should have kept going. They allow themselves to believe a lie when they knew that it was a lie. They allow themselves to go along with something that was wrong. Because it was easier to go along with it because it was, you know, it was easier to go along with the wrong thing than it was to speak up and say, no, we're not doing this. I'm not doing this. Count me out. And so we're in this strange place right now. In the United States in particular, I don't really know about the rest of the world and I don't particularly care right now because this is mostly for anyone who cares to listen but the easy path it's a path for cowards there's just no two ways about it it's, it's simple to understand you know because it's easy to do the wrong thing it just is. And in many cases, you don't even have to, to have a rhyme or reason for it. Some people instinctively lie. <laughs> when you ask them something. I, I have my little girls like that. You know? Because it's easy. It's just easy to make stuff up. And not be held accountable. To not hold yourself accountable for what you say and what you do. So easy. But the thing about betraying yourself and betraying others is that every time you do it, there's a part of you in the subconscious realm, right between the eyes. This calling bullshit. And that's where the anxiety and the depression comes from. 
That's where the PTSD comes from. See, soldiers don't get PTSD primarily from what they saw. Soldiers get PTSD from what they did. With what they saw. The actions that they performed. And their mind is constantly trying to wrap itself around it. Anyone who suffers from PTSD, that's what happened. Is you did something that compromised your self-worth. That compromised your value. And made you feel worthless in some way, shape, or form. I'll give you a perfect example. With me. This is not something that I've told many people over the years. So me saying this now, it's nothing to me because I don't care about that type of stuff anymore. And people's opinions of me or views or whatever because it's meaningless most of the time. But when I was a little boy, what started my path down the path of fear, which is really one of the first real bad incidents of, you know, of horrible things that had happened to me was that I was molested as a kid by my female first cousin. Her idea was that she was using me as an experiment to practice for some guy that, you know, she was trying to impress in the bedroom, of course. And she was using me, you know, little nine-year-old me, as a tool to that end. And I didn't fight back. Didn't even raise up a word of protest. I was a good kid. I was a sweet kid. Probably one of the sweetest and nicest that I knew. I was very non-confrontational. Very. It was very passive, too. But I was a sweet kid. And so I went along with it. Because she preferenced it to me helping her out. And I wanted to be the good little nephew, so I did. Or not nephew, but cousin. I wanted to be a good little cousin, so I, so I did. I helped. <laughs> and in the beginning, I hated every bit of it. And I felt so off after the very first time. But then, long story short, as time went on, I started to enjoy it. See, this is how monsters and monstrous people who do monstrous things operate. They play within the margins. They play on your humanity. They feed off of it. They prey on it. On the understanding. And then they try to set themselves up so that you believe that there's no difference between the two of you. And so I never, I never relented. Ever. I just, I went along with it. And it got to the point to where I enjoyed it and the attention. Because I, at the time, I wasn't getting it anywhere else. 
I didn't know that my parents were fighting at this point in time, but I didn't know. I know that I was going through something that was beyond me and that was it wasn't it wasn't something that I was was I knew that the acts that I was performing were not for a child. I knew that. But I was too afraid. And it was just easier to go along with it than to start the hornet's nest of problems that I, I knew would would come come about from speaking up, so I didn't. I didn't want to hurt anyone. I didn't want anyone to get in trouble. I didn't want to be the bad guy. So I did what I was told. Even though every cell in my body was screaming for this to stop. But then, in the midst of the acts, I enjoyed it. Didn't even know why I did. But... When the truth finally came out, I remember vividly I was in a bath. I remember my mother, she ushered me into the bathroom and she put me in a bath. And I just sat there in this soapy water, just shaking. And the water was hot and I was just shaking because the truth was out. And the way my mother looked at me, I never forgot. It was it was like I was a broken tool. Or a bag full of a basket full of dirty laundry. And and she just didn't want to deal with it. And that feeling, it stuck with me for a very, very, very long time. And it made me very awkward. Especially in my teen years, I was so awkward around women because all I could think about was sex. I thought about it all the time. I know you probably couldn't imagine what it's like being 10 and 11 and 13 and all you can think about is sex. And you don't even understand what sex is. That's all you can think about. Every girl that you ever knew and ever talked to, you're imagining imagining naked. It's just, it was a disgusting feeling. It took me a long time to overcome. And in my relationship life, I didn't handle betrayal very well. So after my second divorce, pretty much towards the end of the second one, I was in a bathtub with my favorite dagger, the sharpest one I own, and most people who know me know I'm addicted to knives. I love blades. I've always loved blades. Of all shapes and sizes, I love them all. And my favorite one I had in my bathtub with me after I had heard the news of my ex-wife cheating on me and had been cheating on me pretty much since we had gotten together. And the names and the people that she had done it with. And I was just done. I wasn't talking to my family at the time. I didn't really have that many friends because how thrown off she was. I was constantly having to, you know, lose friendships. I mean, you know, it was it was just a messed up situation that I had got myself into. It was all my fault and I knew it. 
knew this person wasn't a good person from jump. But, you know, it's easier to, to go after what comes to you than it is to go after what's good for you. I never learned. I never learned from my parents' mistakes. And so that's what led me to sitting in a bathtub, holding my favorite blade to my wrist, crying like a baby, ready to check out. And then I don't know, I don't know why, but I just heard a voice in my head. Knowing now it was my subconscious, but I heard a voice in my head that said, really, that's it? I remember it so clear even now. It was like, really? So this is it. So you're going to let them win. And I remember uh, the thought, the thought of, of, of losing again after all that I had been through, it angered me. It angered me so damn much that when I was sitting in that water that it had already gotten lukewarm at this point because I'd been sitting there so long contemplating slitting my wrist. And my children were in the other room and I didn't care. I just did not care. But at this one point where I heard those words, I said, really, that's it. You're going to let them win. This is how we're going out. After everything we've been through. And I remember just the tears in my eyes started to burn, rolling down my face. Because that's how angry I was at myself for giving up on myself. I'd had so many people giving up, giving up on me up until that point. My grandmother had died and she was my best friend. And my father wasn't around. And I just, I was done. I was done feeling weak because I felt like even after all my accomplishments and the stuff that I did in ROTC and, and the physical fitness and me taking care of myself like I did for all these years up until that point and me getting good with swords and, and you know, me, me building a life for myself that I had thought that I had built for myself. These are things that I was immensely proud of, being a good father and being a good friend. And... All it took was some betrayal for me to want to throw it all away. Because it was easier to throw it all away than it was to face the fact that I fucked up. And you know, some people, they like to say that it's dumb to play the what if game, but I don't. Because I think it gives you a perspective on what could have happened if you had done the right thing the first damn time. What if when my cousin came to me with that proposition, I said, hell no, you're not doing that to me. I'm going to go tell my mom. I'm going to go tell my dad. Been a different story, right? Then I wouldn't, 
have been where I was. And then maybe I could have had healthy relationships with friends, especially my female friends. What if, right? What if I had been brave and done what I was supposed to do the first time? This is a question that anyone who's ever been through anything can ask themselves. Like, what if I had done the right thing the first time? Instead of ignoring my instincts, instead of purposely and willfully ignoring the red flags in this situation. What if I hadn't ignored them? What if I had done the right thing, the difficult thing, and said no? And not give a damn about hurting somebody's feelings. And not give a damn about being in the wrong. And protected my own sovereignty. It's a lesson that I I tell people a lot now, my friends going through stuff, is that there's, there's nothing good in the easy path. There's nothing good there. It might feel good for a season, but in many cases it will compromise and taint your soul. I say resist the easy path. If it's difficult and you don't want to do it, Chances are, that's exactly what you need to do. That's why I started doing these podcasts. It's because the very first time I started talking to people and being candid to with, with people and with my friends about issues and things, they would always tell me the same things. Like, Man, you need, to, you need to make a podcast. You need to. You need to be a counselor. And I never thought that those were my thing. I never thought it. But funny enough, when I was a kid, when I was a pastor's kid, which honestly, believe me, I feel too tainted to even do something like that. Now, I'd be honest, if I did, I wouldn't, I, I don't think I could take it as seriously as I once would have. But I used to get told by people all the time, it's like, you know, you should, I see you being a pastor one day, and I used to always laugh that off, like, me standing in front of a room full of people talking about God, no thank you, because I knew the truth about me, and they didn't, or at least I thought I knew, I thought that I was damaged goods because of what happened to me, I thought that there would never be anything of worth about me. So when people would say that to me in my head, I was like, yeah, you're telling me something I don't already know. Like, fuck you. <laughs> I know that. Next. It took me a long, long time to convince myself otherwise. And if I had taken the easy path, I wouldn't be here talking to you right now. You would never know my name. It's so sad. 
so sad. But before I get off of here, I want to tell you a story about a man named Joseph. Joseph was in a church like I was. Joseph was probably one of the most devout believers in Christ I ever knew. And we were friends at this church called Redemption Baptist Church. And he had the uh, the bus ministry. So he loved kids. He was also a youth pastor. He loved kids. And this was in San Antonio. And he used to drive around the west side of San Antonio and pick up kids and stuff. And he wasn't, he wasn't an attractive guy in the least. He had jacked up teeth. He wore glasses. He had kind of a funny, nerdy way of talking. He was going to a, to a Christian Bible college to become a pastor himself. But he, if I could describe him, he was kind of like Ichabod, you know, Crane from uh, from uh, from the, the Sleepy Hollow stories. Skinny, tall, not attractive to look at at all. And he was in love with the pastor's daughter. He thought she was the best thing since sliced bread. And ever since we became friends and ever since we met each other, we we knew that there was a kindred spirit between us. We both knew suffering. We both knew that we weren't enough. And so we became friends. And I used to watch the pastor ridicule him and the other deacons in the church ridicule him and people would make fun of him behind his back. And I was his only friend for a long time. And I used to go over his house. My parents used to let me go over his house and we would go. I would go over his house and he would let me play his games on his computer while he would study for his schoolwork and he'd do his Bible studies and stuff. And this would usually happen after church, you know, Wednesdays and Sundays and stuff. And, you know, other days during the week, you know, when there was stuff going on with the church, you know, me and him would always hang out afterwards. And he was in his 20s and I was like in my early teens. It was like, like 14 and 15 around there. And he was a good dude. He really was. And he was one of the only people that would ever actually talk to me and have real conversations with me. And we used to talk about all kinds of stuff. Talk about his family life and his upbringing. And, you know, life wasn't easy for Joseph. He lived in a, in a crap back house of, of some other people's house. They had like a, a small house that they rented out in the back. And it wasn't great. But I mean, it was his, and and he had, you know, he didn't care about any of that stuff. The only thing he cared about was the things of God and the pastor's daughter. He was madly in love with her. And I remember I used to always encourage him because I didn't have the courage to do what I was telling him. But it was easier for me to tell him, hey, you just need to go ask her out. Just try. Just go out there and just do it. And one day he mustered up the courage. To, to really, really go after it. And it ended horribly. She made fun of him and ridiculed him for even thinking that he had a shot. And I remember he was devastated after that. And then it wasn't even just that. The pastor himself told him that he really didn't think he had what it took to be a pastor. And, you know, and then there was just the, the constant murmuring and, and shit talking that happened behind his back at church. I witnessed all of this and I was the one that, that saw him cry. 
that is home when the reality of of how hopeless the situation was is really weighing in on him. And I was going through my own stuff at this time and I, I wound up getting uh, kicked out of my home and I didn't come back to San Antonio for a very, very, very long time after that. And I remember when I came back to San Antonio years later with my second wife and uh, I come back and one of the very first things my mother told me was that, um, did you know that Joseph killed himself? I dropped to the floor in tears. Now this is the first time that my second wife is meeting my mom and my daughter is there with, with her, like right behind us, she's holding her in her arms. And I fell to the floor in tears, like immediately. My heart felt like it had been broken in a million pieces because I knew what a lot of people didn't know that he probably was suffering alone in that apartment, dealing with the fear and the pain and the ridicule and hating his life. And he probably didn't see any way out. And it was easier just to end it all than to move on with his life and, and to find somebody else and to, and to do you know, to do all those other things, but that's what happens when you don't have any positive voices in your corner and life just seems too damn hard. The idea of checking out pops into your head. And I'm, I miss Joseph. And I, I feel, I feel pain every time I think about him. So I say this, fight against the easy path with all your worth. Be your own hero. Find a way, persevere, summon strength, fortitude, fortify yourself. Even if you have to go it alone, do it confidently, but don't quit. Don't give in, don't relent, no matter what. You have value. There is more to you than meets the eye. And anyone who doesn't see that, fuck them. Go without them. They weren't going to help you anyway. Do something difficult. Carry a load. Find those days where it's so hard to get out of bed. Make yourself. Push through. Demand more from yourself than you do from others. Make it your mantra. Make it constant. An everyday thing. That today is the day that I become more than I was yesterday. Fight. In this world, if you want to live free, you got to fight.
I hope that my words don't fall on deaf ears. I hope that you find strength. However you find it, find strength. But don't take the easy path. Because it's only going to hurt you more. And life is hard enough as it is. And if I could add one more bit of advice, try not to take life so damn seriously. Try not to take everything so damn personal. A lot of times people are going through so much shit that it's a lot easier to fuck with somebody else than to fuck with themselves. It's sad reality, but it's true. Smile. Look for the crystal, the beautiful light in life. Find something to be joyful about and hold on to it for all your worth. Because you never know, you might need that one thing to get you through the hardest days in your life. Cherish your friends and the people that care for you and genuinely want to see you succeed. And the rest of them, leave them by the wayside. Leave them standing on the sidelines. Ignore them like they're not even there. Because track stars, the fast ones, the good ones, they're not giving a damn about who's running up beside them or who's gaining on their tail. Their eyes are forward. Their attention is fixed. Focus ain't easy. It's damn hard. But more importantly, fight. Fight, fight, fight. And don't give up. Because it's not easy. But it's damn sure worth it.